0: Alright, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuckables? What's happening? I'm Mark Maron. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. If you're new, hi, how are you? Hope you're comfortable. Hope you're doing what you uh, just normally do. Just trying it out. Like, uh, I've heard about this guy. People say he's good. One guy says he's annoying. They say his interviews are good, but sometimes he's a little rambly at the beginning. Uh, yeah welcome for those of you who have been here before nice to see you nice to, to have you back what's going on today on the show uh jeff daniels i talked to jeff daniels the actor who in that it turns out to be kind of a, a great conversation really i think he surprised himself last night was the last night of hanukkah and the night before last i lit the candles it was pretty exciting to, uh, to light uh, so many, uh, to start out with so many, you, you know, because I started out with seven. I didn't light them until last night. That was the night that, you know, i have been busy, been doing Globe and getting home late, I've been studying my lines, but Sarah the painter came over and she wanted to witness it, and uh, I begrudgingly did it. And I'm sorry that it was begrudgingly, but sometimes it's just a vulnerable place. I talked about that last week, but I did it, and the pretty hand-dipped Hanukkah candles made a very... Um, a compelling, colorful mess. And my smoke alarm did not go off. I said the prayer the best I could, did not know the second one, dug up my yarmulke from the, from the drawer where I have a couple that I've collected from weddings and then one nice woven one where I don't remember where I bought it, but I must have bought it somewhere. And uh, I laid into it. I leaned in to the menorah lighting ceremony. I have been trying to use my time efficiently, uh, working all week, doing the glow. Been some late shoots uh, going into the night, and a couple nights I got home. But then I get home when I'm doing the show and I work on the scenes for the next day. And I've kind of relaxed into the process. I, God knows I should, this being the third year. But it's going well. But then uh, the weekend comes and uh, I want to get some shit done. There's some, there's some stuff that needs to get done house stuff, things, uh, you know, making my new house uh, a house. Still needs to be done. Like, uh, like I, I have this room upstairs; it's supposed to be an office, so I want it to be an office, not just you know. I, I well, here's my problem: is like there's about it starts out with like three or four things I want to do, and then instead of just doing one at a time, I'll start doing one, and then I'll drift, and then I'll go do some out el- something else. I'll play guitar, I'll think about stuff, I'll read a book, and then I'll go go do some of the other, and I just sort of create this uh, multitasking rotation. Of projects and then it just it becomes bigger as the day goes on because you find other things like this weekend the idea was to get the office the the study or whatever the room that i'm gonna a lot for work in my home to get it set up and by set up, i mean just file all this stuff that is now in piles on the floors and get and get it out of the way and and make it look you know at least neat and then then i could start putting stuff in my desk So the room looks like it functions and doesn't just become a storage room for a growing pile of papers and things that are in the do I need all this shit limbo there. I just I get a lot of shit. Do you understand? Then this stuff is all over the house. I don't know where it all comes from. I don't know how it just start. You know, just all of a sudden there's new things. I mean, I know that, you know, people and and companies, publishers, record labels, they send me shit, books, records. You know, then people send me gifts and they people send me big ideas and I look at them and then I put them on the table or the floor and they they enter the first realm that they enter. The first circle is really the uh, I might want to keep this shit that that, that's the first uh, level and they can stay there for a while and for years even. And then eventually it gets to the point where when I decide, like I did this weekend, that it's time to go through this stuff that they enter the uh, do I need all this shit limbo. And I'll tell you, man, it can be a little overwhelming because like I'm in my office, I'm going through papers, I go because I you know I have all this stuff that was unfiled. You know, I'm going through bank statements, insurance stuff, pay stubs, receipts for things that happened a long time ago. You know, my birth certificate, I got the deed to the old house, I got the deed to the new house, I got two marriage licenses, both of them void at this point, obviously. I got this huge folder of panic papers and, and like this aggressive documentation I did and all the actions I had to execute when my identity was stolen. I got random song lyrics. I got, I got question sheets for, for podcasts, notes for interviews, just all over the place. You know, so can I'm sure that some of you can relate to this. And then there's the stacks of books and everything. It's just sort of like, do, do I, you know, do, do I need all this shit? What, and you don't want to throw important papers. away. Why am I holding on to the, to the marriage licenses? That stuff has to be done. That's over, right? But, but they're on official pieces of paper that are issued by the state. It, it's almost like it seems important. It seems like it's a, for, for archival purposes. Am I ever going to need proof of that? I don't know. Who do I call? Who do I call to find out whether I need all this shit, whether I can start shredding and throwing stuff away? Why do we hold on to it? Don't things lose their meaning or their importance? How long do you have to keep this stuff, man? So I'm making the rotation, the multitasking, you know, uh, multi-floor, multi-room rotation. Just moving around, folding laundry, going through a few piles of papers, looking at books on the uh, dining room table. The paper thing just overwhelmed me. Yeah, I think it was the marriage licenses. I mean, then it's just sort of like, oh, my God, life just stacks up and i don't know that it it made me feel bad but it does i guess it makes you feel reflective i don't even know if it made me feel that i it just sort of like i have lived a life so in the middle of this rotation i'm trying to read the new beastie boys book which is great and uh, then a box came delivered new litter box so i had to set that up and go through the litter and clean the litter and change the litter i don't know but i'm doing the papers i'm doing the books i'm changing cat litter i'm playing guitar i'm reading never one thing at a time and uh, and well i don't think i have to tell you the uh the piles are not done yet they're, they're smaller but they're not done yet so finally I, I break down all the boxes i get those in the recycle that's part of the rotation now breaking down boxes and another box comes and then uh i don't open it yet because i'm in the middle of the other thing and then i notice that on the shelf with all my little bullshit tchotchkes there's some old mexican hand-carved winged monkeys that uh, both of them lost their wings. I, I can't explain the whole story, so I'm like, all right, I've got the piles going on, I got the boxes going on, I got the reading going on, I've got uh, folding laundry, everything. And I'm just like, hey, why not add gluing the wings onto the little monkeys? So I had two winged monkeys. I threw one away; it was irreparable. Both of these things are just. I just there's all these artifacts from trips I took with women who are no longer in my life, wives. And these, these things, they don't seem to be triggers. They're, they're barely reminders at this point. Just stuff I'm afraid to throw away. I feel like I go through this stuff every few years. But uh, I'm happy that uh, one of my monkeys now had has wings. One of my one of my little hand-carved, hand-painted, uh, funny-winged monkeys can now fly again. Oh, that must be what's going on. That must be what Buster's chasing around in the middle of the night. My little... Carved Mexican monkeys with wings come to life like Pinocchio and fly around my house again. Ah, the poetry. So the big question, how does the stuff keep reproducing? Why more stuff? Okay, so another box comes, as I mentioned. And uh, I open it and I'd ordered a new vegetable steamer just that thing that goes in the bottom of a pot because the one I had was silicone. And I don't know if you have this problem, but I've become very sensitive and very aggravated. I have a dishwasher. I don't always use it, but I, when I do use it, all the plastic takes, it, it all starts to smell and taste like that dishwasher soap, like this dish, dirty dishwater soap water. Maybe my dishwasher's fucked up. I don't know. Do you have this soap problem where your fucking plastic and even the glass stuff p- makes the food taste like like soap? Is it my machine broken or is that a common problem? Get back to me on this. But I had this silicone, is that what it's called? I had to look it up. The silicone uh, uh, steamer that I have had for over a decade. And it just was making all my kale and vegetables and Rob and everything I steam. taste like soap. So I was furious after a certain point. It's been going on for about a year. It took me that long to order a new steamer. And I ordered one that was too small for my big pot. So I had a moment of anger and then there's the next moment when you order things online, it's like, did it cost enough to return it? No, it did not. It's like six bucks. So I went on and I ordered the larger one and now I'm going to have two. And that's how things reproduce in the uh, shopping online culture. Depending on how much time you have, you might like to return things and, but I wasn't going to return it for six bucks. Now I, in my mind, I'm like, that's good. I'll have two, uh, one for the little pot and one for the big pot, but it'll only be a matter of time before, uh, before it ends uh, ends up in the do-I-need-all-this-shit limbo. Two vegetable steamers. How often am I going to use one in a small pot? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, people. But I got two steamers now. So, Jeff Daniels, uh, this interview that you're about to hear was recorded in the Schubert Theater during the first week of preview performances for To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, that's a play adaptation of uh, the Harper Lee book written by Aaron Sorkin. Opening night is this Thursday, December 13th. Um, you know, it was, it was great. Cause we, it was one of those things. I was in New York. I brought my equipment. I met Brendan over at the Schubert theater. We went up into the uh, old offices that are beautifully redone in the Schubert. And we sat in this gorgeous room. Cause I, I guess one of the Schubert's used to live there back in the day. And uh, I set up on the table and Jeff brought his guitar in case we might want to do that. It's a little tricky to do that, but we noodled on it a bit before the interview. And we we just talked, you know, and it's interesting because Jeff is an intense guy. But you enter an interview, and I know from someone who's doing them, with a sort of kind of like, all right, wh- what are we doing? And it sort of started in that tone, but then it started to open up, and you can hear it open up. And, and it, we we ended up having a really great conversation, a nice time, and we really connected. And, uh, and there was a, there was a lot of great little tidbits about acting, about his career, about other actors, and just about uh, you know his kind of journey as as an act because everyone knows Jeff Daniels, he's a great actor. And the play was very was very good. Uh, it, what's horrible about the play is how relevant it is today and I entered this thing oddly enough maybe it's because I was lazy in high school or I don't know but I have not read To Kill a Mockingbird and I did not see the movie so this play was actually my first experience with the story and it's a devastating story and it was very well executed by the actors and by Aaron Sorkin who I'll talk to uh, at another time so this is me and Jeff Daniels upstairs at the old Schubert Theater in New York City. I saw it last night.
1: Last night, yeah. How did you feel about
0: last night? um, I thought it was great, by the way. We did well,
1: but we had like 12 changes in the second act. So you're flying around uh, speed bumps. (laughs) There's one. Here comes comes a change. Here comes a change. Don't forget what you're saying here about the, you know, you're making change, and then you go, I just word-burgered that line. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Let
0: me me make sure I got the piece out that was necessary to move the dialogue forward. Yes. What I meant to say.
1: Yes, and uh, something about Jim. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but you guys, he's got some of you... uh, some like it seems like some of the actors have to push the stairs under the platform and then roll the thing
1: out yeah and that, and and it's just things that are new and and this is and they're make everybody aaron and bart and scott are making it better um it's just uh it's a bit of a you want to shush down the mountain straight down right yeah 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 and we're not there yet we have to right and, and here's a new gate yeah. boom, over here are you
0: changing every day like is there are there tweaks?
1: What kind of tweaks happen on a daily basis? Right now, there are, twe- right there are now? tweaks every day. Yeah, right now. Yeah. To what lines, movements, cuts, all of it, cuts. Really. Um, directing an actor to go deeper, and now he or she is now diving in deeper, and that changes the rhythm. So you're 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 riding them, and right. Their changes and. Uh, uh, you get the stairs instead of her getting the stairs. You know, it's just tough. Just right. it's, it's tightening the show. It's it's inter- it's all the things you do with a new play to make it great. And on top of that, it's Aaron Sorkin. On top of that, it's the it's the the speed and the mental dexterity that it takes to handle Aaron Sorkin uh, well. Yeah, and that that is that's. Uh, it's a challenge and it's a it's a great challenge but even this is what the third or fourth time you've worked with him Uh, newsroom I count that as three seasons three years of of doing exclusively Aaron's dialogue and then it was Steve Jobs and I don't think I'm forgetting anything so this would be the third project yeah
0: and when you do like when you say like because I notice that Aaron like when I watch his stuff on in a movie like in Steve Jobs movie. Mm-hmm. Like I liken it to uh, like, you know, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn, that there's a patter to it. Oh, yeah. Like it's not, it, it, it becomes about the rhythm of the pattern, not whether or not people talk like that. It's yeah. like whether you can deliver his style of writing.
1: Yeah. I mean, where's the, where's the, I mean, it has to do with being a musician and finding the rhythm. Yeah. But it's also um, written. Yeah. It means it has to be rehearsed. Right. And I don't mind having the writer in the scene. I I enjoy listening to Paddy Chayefsky and Network. Right. I like that he's in the scene with yeah. Holden and Dunaway. Yeah. I don't mind that. I, no, it's great. I think, I think too many actors have decided that, well, I think paraphrasing is best. And I think, let me just do it the way I would do it. And they and and a lot of times you're in a movie where it's written by junior executives on the 18th floor and it's noted to death. Yeah. And you you go through the scene and you're you're in the line and you're talking to your daughter and you say, you know, your mother, Nancy. Yeah. And you have to and you're going, "Wait a minute. Why why am I telling my own daughter that her mother's name because we we're reminding the audience so late? Oh, shut up." Right. So With an Aaron Sorkin or a Chayefsky or David Mamet or Lanford Wilson, Preston Sturgis. Let's go way back. Yeah. You want the writer in the room. Yeah. I'm reading a book. I want to know. I'm reading Paul Rudnick right yeah. now. I'm, I am love that I'm listening to Paul Rudnick Thinks, and that other yeah. people are talking. It, what is wrong with that? So right. I've always, and it comes from the theater. It comes from. There's a tone. There's a rhythm. There's a, there's something. There's a respect for the writer. They've perfected it. They, this is what they. they, they trust me. They've worked on right. this before yeah. they gave it to right. you. Yeah. And they might've tried all the things that you're going to do. And these, the, the actor thing of, well, let me do my, it's, you're going to go down the road to your own little bag of tricks. Yeah. The thing that you do in every single movie that you think makes you special. That let me do what I do that America loves. Well, you're just a brand. Why don't you get inside Aaron Sorkin? Get inside Attica, his Atticus Finch. Right. And find out what that is and go to some place you've never been before. Otherwise, get the hell out. Yeah. Go do something else. So do you like
0: I've talked to Mamet. About like about his approach to acting, which I initially like just on paper and having read, you know, what I think I
1: threw the book against the wall. Yeah, Yeah, right. How he feels about
0: it. Yeah. But I did take something away from that is that it is on the page. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you need is on the page Mm -hmm. And, and you have to honor that first. Absolutely. And then build it from inside that.
1: Don't change a word. Right. Especially a Mamet, a Lamford, or an Aaron Sorkin. Don't change a word of it. You don't, you're not allowed. In a right. the theater, you are not allowed. It, In movies, somehow, somehow, somebody gave actors the permission to do that. I was doing a movie, um, The Hours, with Meryl Streep. That's a
0: heavy movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But you're with Meryl. Right. And, and I had done, worked with her on Heartburn, yeah. and I got the chance to do Hours and went over and did We're walking into her apartment. The character's apartment and the director Stephen Daldry said Meryl just say a couple things about your apartment as you are coming in and and she said I have to write it too yeah. I had never heard an actor say that and I just and she goes you have David Hare yeah. one of the great screenwriters yeah. sitting over there yeah go ask him and Stephen rightly went over and said david and he's something you know yeah, you know right i hope you like it something nothing generic right but and he came two lines and she goes thank you and yeah. and i said okay that's it that's done that's yeah. that's that's the role model that's it i get if it's written by 12 people and except i get that but if it you got the real writer there you i did that on looming tower we had adam rapp uh was a playwright and yeah. had written one of the episodes and he was sitting over there and they're going i go adam come here yeah that, tell him what do you want me to say because that what it does for the actor then you stop trying to do someone else's job you stop trying to write it to in between action and cut you're also rewriting can't do it right can't do it well i had a, like a, an
0: experience with that the other day like i did like i'm not I'm not here to talk about me, but I do. But let's yeah. I did one scene, like a walk and talk with De Niro on the Joker movie, and I I, pretty good, right? And I'd never been in that situation or on a set like that, but with De Niro, like he, like we did it. We did it. We did. You know, we did the scene, and then he went over and talked to the director, who was uh, Todd Phillips, and then I'm standing there, and (laughs) I'm not saying it. And then Todd Phillips comes over to me and goes, "You think you're being a little too big? I think you might be a little too big. You know, you do work for." For Bob's character, and I'm like, oh, that's what he just thought. But I didn't take it personally. But De Niro didn't say to me, no,
1: he's he, not. Yeah, he did the right thing, and uh, <laughs> and on a film too. And with somebody like De Niro, it's if if Bob thinks you're a little big, you might want to want to bring yeah. it down.
0: Well, I, was, I was happy to bring it down. Not sure, I, I,
1: I did everything I
0: could to bring it down.
1: So you were a complete <laughs> zero. You were barely audible in the next take. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even talk.
0: I did, I, <laughs> I just walked behind him nervously. (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) Seemed like the right thing to do. Sure, built it up from there. But uh, do you ever improvise?
1: Yeah, when you when you're called upon to do so, I'm not good at it. I never took an improv class, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm okay at it if I'm in the character and asked to. you know do something i mean when you're doing dumb and dumber with jim carrey you better be ready to roll a little bit no, but yeah. often on dumb and dumber i just go jim tell me, give me something to say when yeah, you say yeah. that just give me something to say um you can uh try say this uh, fine thank you again i don't want to write it so it's your job to react to jim I just carrey i worked really hard to make it work the way it is now what now i'm supposed to come on so when you started where did you
0: start doing the acting i mean when did it like dawn on you that you needed to do that um,
1: it's still dawning. Yeah, um, well, you've gotten very good at it. Well, I've, 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 I, I kept waiting for it to end. Yeah, the the career. <laughs> <You> I did. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was in high school. you are uh, still timed yet. <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> trust me. Um, they keep pulling me back. <laughs> the, the high school. It was just small town. They needed guys from South Pacific. What uh, town? A uh, little town called Chelsea, Michigan. And that's where right you live now. I still live there, uh, Ann Arbor, right near Ann Arbor. Uh, the director was doing South Pacific. She needed guys. So I'm yeah. walking off a basketball practice where we did nothing but run for three hours because we were five and 15. Yeah. And we had just lost by 30 points. And okay. I'm one of the starters. And yeah. you're just going, just get me out of basketball. Yeah. And she's going, Jeff, get in here. Because I was in choir. Right. I could carry a tune. Yeah. She hauls me up there. I do a funny dance in the middle of, I don't know what the song was. And then... Next thing you know, she's in, I'm in the show, I do the funny dance, and in front of 700 people, and I know exactly what to do, and I'm not nervous. Right, and you don't have to make a shot don't have to make a shot and then she gives me Fagan and Oliver then she gives me wait for it Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof sure blonde yeah Midwestern 18 not a clue what Jewish was but I went to see the movie six times so I did a dead-on impression of Topol
0: oh good I would have loved to have seen those costumes I wonder how they would play today (laughs) (laughs) I remember
1: spraying the blonde hair with gray hairspray paint and a glue-on gray beard and you did
0: I did it all and
1: and, 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 but I knew, I knew what to do. Yeah. I could get out in front of those people and I could work them. I could pull them in. Sure. I could push them away. I the could timing. T- t- yeah. At 18. So I was a natural. I, there was a lot I didn't know, but I was a natural at it. Kept going to college, got a break, went to New York city, joined circle repertory company. But what
0: about your folks? Were they into it?
1: My dad ran a lumber company and uh, I'm the oldest son. How many? How many kids? Uh, Three. My brother runs it now, but I was being groomed to be the lumber family business. It was. It would have been third generation, and I took trigonometry. I took geometry. I took algebra. I barely lumber. I mean, things have to fit in in houses. Yeah. That takes geometry. You have to be able to tell the customer. But when you're pulling a D plus after studying three hours the night before with your father and you're still pulling a D plus on the (laughs) test and you're throwing the book up in the air and your dad's going, this is just not going to. Yeah. Um, No basketball, no lumber for this. Well, then I got the, the and they saw it. They saw this natural ability in this kid. Yeah and the teacher had said uh, who had the choir teacher the musical director just kept saying watch this kid there's something going on i don't know how good he is but there's this is unusual
0: which is also on some level horrible news for parents like, guess what? Your kid might have a future in show business.
1: Well, they but we're in the Midwest. We don't know what show business is. Isn't we
0: weird? You don't, do you?
1: No. And New York City is a place where people go to die. Yeah. You know? like well, <laughs> getting shot or yeah, whatever. It's, it's it's just, yeah. It's the 70s. it's kind of it, did go. It's yeah. before Rudy saved the day. Right. You know? Way so, before. And yeah. the, the city was depressed and broken. Oh, my God. And bond
0: and, out. And, and
1: Son of Sam hadn't happened yet. Yeah. It was just.
0: Just drugs and weirdness everywhere.
1: Yeah. And and uh, and hang on, gay people. Yeah. Well, they, they live there. Right. So that, but they looked at that. And I remember coming home, I, I did a thing at a college that the artistic director of Circle Repertory had come out to pick up a check to direct some college kids. The head of the department at Eastern Michigan University was his old college friend from Northwestern. And he's directing a bunch of college kids. Marshall W. Mason, would you come out and direct these college kids? Right. Got the lead in Summer and Smoke and Hot Baltimore. And uh, before uh, Marshall went back to New York, he said, you know what you should do with your life, don't you? And I'm 21, and I go, "Um, well, you know, I think I like to be an actor. He said, you should come to New York. You should join the Circle Repertory Company as an apprentice. No guarantees, but you should chase acting. So I went home to my lumberyard father and my housewife farmer mother.
0: Yeah, she comes from farmers.
1: Farmers, and I said, "This is what I'm being offered." And my dad looked at my mom, and he looked at me, and he said, "You should go." Really, pretty good.
0: That's great. Pretty good. Did you grow up with uh, Was it a conservative household? Were you you know hammered with Republican
1: moderates? Yeah, Republican moderates. So decent people, but a little nervous. they said you should go there was no there was did it surprise you they
0: saw it Um, was it like did you get emotional I mean was it one of those things where it was like uh, you wanted to no no
1: no, because I think it was, why don't you go, and, and it wasn't even go and try, and then when you fail, come home, and you'll put you in the, I knew I had the lumber company. Yeah. I might have been on the counter going, what would you like today? But I, I knew I had the lumber company. The simple son, where the younger brother's running things. <laughs> yes, I, yes I, would have, I would have been working for my younger brother, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But um, no, it was, no, I have to see this through. Yeah. And then I went to New York and, and waited to fail. And this was 72? Seventy-six. Okay. So where do
0: you move? You first get here, you must have, had you been here before?
1: No, I stayed with uh, Marshall for a couple of weeks, and then I got a one-room apartment on 23rd and 7th Avenue.
0: Okay. Pretty, what was going on over there then? Not much.
1: Not much. Chelsea. It was Chelsea, though, kind of, Mm, almost. Yeah, it was was 23rd and 7th. Yeah. Um, The next year, Son of Sam happened. Uh, also the blackout remember the blackout right yeah yeah, yeah yeah i was understudying on broadway and then walk blackout happened walked down to my apartment i was on the 10th floor no lights no elevator what calls from a, home are you okay is it no be careful son of sand no no, no. i heard the lights didn't go on <laughs> you know
0: <laughs> yeah 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 that uh yeah they didn't go on so what was this how did the circle rep work so you come out here you're the new guy who's uh who are the big guys
1: you're apprenticing? I mean, what are you I'm um, apprenticing. Uh, it was a company of people that um, uh, they had done Hotel Baltimore. Uh, you know, Judd Hirsch was in that. Um, soon after I came, Bill Hurt showed up. Oh, yeah. Chris Reeves showed up. Oh, that
0: was that crew.
1: Yeah. But I- there was a group of people. John Hogan, Danton Stone, Stephanie Gordon, Tanya and Trish Hawkins, Nancy Snyder, solid from who had been taught by Marshall Mason. This is kind of listening, reactive acting yeah. that you are part of a whole. Don't try to stand out. That was training. To, yeah. and And it served me really well in film. As a supporting actor, which is how I really started out. So
0: none of the, you didn't do any of the Meisner Stanislavsky. He took
1: Stanislavsky. He took Meisner, who took it from Stanislavsky, and created his own thing. It was like a third step. Uh What Marshall did. Uh So it was based on Stanislavsky, based on Meisner, but Marshall wrote his own book on it, and that's the book I use today. And those guys like Reeves and uh, and Hurt, they
0: they came out of Juilliard, right? They came from elsewhere,
1: and yeah. so there was a bit of a speed bump for those of us who were trained under Marshall. Yeah, and but you know Bill, extremely talented, Chris, talented, you know they they fit in, um, but it wasn't the same as those of us who had been through it, right? Because they like someone like Hurt, it seems awfully thinky stinky thinky thinky
0: yeah like you know, i have never
1: like, that, is that a word yeah
0: i used it a lot where it know, is where, now thinky where he you know just he seems to
1: process you know there's like, there's, there's a-, a process going on with bill there's some <laughs> cerebral stuff yeah um uh, but he's fun all yeah. you got to do is poke him yeah and i then, mean with then. a sharp object but yeah. you got to poke him and then he's there yeah
0: <laughs> so what what so you apprentice for how long? What does it mean to apprentice? At the apprentice
1: means there? you. Uh, you. Uh, I went right. He he had a part for me. This was the spring when he said, "Why don't you come to New York?" In the fall, he had a part for me. It was a play called "The Farm" by David Storey. Richard Gere had done it the uh, uh, like six months earlier. Yeah. And Richard got um, the Terrence Malick, malice movie. I forget which Oh, yeah, Days of Heaven. Maybe that one. He yeah. got that. I think that with uh, Brooke Adams. Right. So Richard couldn't do it. Gear couldn't do it. And he found me and said, "Jeff can do this part. Why don't you come and be an apprentice? And the first thing I'm going to do is put you in a play at Circle Rep off Broadway." Didn't have a clue what I was doing, uh-huh. and and really let Marshall down. I think and. Uh, Really? Uh, yeah. Didn't go got, well. It. It. I wasn't the guy in Summer and Smoke. I just. I just got scared. Sure. And, um, and you felt
0: that it's a horrible feeling on stage.
1: It's- yeah, you just feel like you're around people that know a hell of a lot more than you do, and and oh. it shows. But uh, the critics were whatever the critics were. But Milton Goldman, who was running ICM at the time, big agency in New York City. Was there to see Jack Gyllenhaal, his sixty-five-year-old client, who yeah. was playing the father in the play. Right, and he saw this kid, and he hauled. He said, "I want to meet the kid." And he hauled me up, and it's and it's everything. It's Milton Goldman. It's the it's you knew the, you knew about him. You knew enough. About I the didn't business. know anything. Oh. It's the it's the it's the posters on the wall. It's the little kid, and Milton's going in the formal suit behind his desk at ten in the morning, going, "You're good enough to circle up And Marshall Mason. You're good enough for ICM. Tell me a little bit about yourself, kid." Yeah. Well, I was just in Tevian Fiddler on the Roof, and he started laughing, and he said, and I he wouldn't stop laughing, and I said. No, I was I was good. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eric, Eric, come here a second. I want you, come here. Tell him what you just told me. Tell Eric what you just told me. <laughs> yeah. I was Tevian and Fiddler. Now he's laughing. And he goes, you're going to be fine, kid. Yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah. Go down to the commercial apartment, department. Yeah. We're going to put you in some Listerine and some McDonald's, and you know we're going to get you on that. Did so you do I that? did commercials for like five years.
0: Yeah, so you started making money as an actor, though. Yeah, right?
1: I didn't have to wait tables, because yeah. I, I would make just enough on, I'd get one out of... 30 commercials that I'd go up on. Any and memorable I, commercials? I did about 12. Pepto-Bismol. Oh, that's good. Yeah. In the 70s. In the 70s. Yeah. Pepto-Bismol. I was a student at the University of Mexico City, and my parents from Long Island, with the camera around the neck and uh-huh. the Hawaiian shirt, came down to visit me at yeah. the University of Mexico City. And they said, "How you doing, son?" I said, "Pretty good." Uh, this was a you know precursor to All Dumb right. and Dumber. Uh, pretty good. I um I just took a test. There, were 500 of us have diarrhea, and um, 250 of us had took Pepto and I was one of them. And boy, does it work! <laughs> Cut it that was it that was the spot <laughs> What? A, that's a hell of a setup for a Pepto-Bismol commercial. they went well, right to it not only that but but you have to call your parents and going you know this week on uh, you know uh, Mannix yeah. uh, in the 8.30 hour I'll be you'll see the yeah. Pepto-Bismol commercial and they call all their you know their bridge club friends and uh, right there you go there you are, are talking uh, about diarrhea there's my son. But it was, it
0: was sort of interesting it was like a, a real fear mongering about dysentery about everything that you're afraid of about eating in Mexico there it is there's 250 of us with diarrhea from being in Mexico, but there's a cure.
1: Yeah, pepto bismol. <laughs> yeah. So it was before the, like, brrr, that. Yeah, commercial. it was before that. I didn't have to do that.
0: So then, after those commercials, when do you start to? Did you stay at ICM? Like, are you still? I'm at still ICM? there.
1: I haven't moved. I, I uh, you know, I Paul Martino was an agent at the time. He picked me up in 1980. He's my manager now. And uh-huh. um, Eddie Blonde's started as male as Paul Martino's receptionist at Paul Martino's office this is Eddie Ablon's now he runs movies in LA he's that's how it happens of, you gotta yeah. be nice so to all I've those so I've been with Eddie and Paul for since the 1980s I made mean, my my mistake was
0: made when I didn't I had no respect for any of them and I, and, I <laughs> and you told them assistants whatever I was just an asshole and then all of a sudden they're the running the business and you're yeah, like you, you don't know. remember when I was younger yeah I do you fuck <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll never forget that <laughs> that's good true. luck with your career that's true yeah they don't. They have long. They're like elephants. Uh, so when does the? How did you start doing the movies? When did that break? How did that happen? Was it the Jonathan Demme? After about Deming, three years of Circle
1: movie? Rep, um, did a lot of plays in Circle Rep. Uh, quite a few. Fifth of July was the one that I really wrote. That one. Lanford Wilson wrote it. We did it off Broadway. Then we did it in L.A. And you started we did, in it. Yeah. Well, I was there. Was I was one of about seven or eight people. And Lanford, every part was a great part. So uh, that was my ticket. That just kept me working and kept me in in what money you could get uh, in the theater. Do you love theater? Love theater.
0: Um, because I, you did a lot of it. You did. You've done more of it than I think most film actors already.
1: I think so. Yeah. I but I it's hard re- to know. but I really wanted to do movies. I, I, theater was my ticket to movies. but, but that
0: was always the idea.
1: Well, yeah, I saw Dog Day Afternoon when I was in college in 76, before I moved to New York. I saw saw it six times. I kept going back to it. And I wanted to figure out what Pacino was doing. I wasn't getting taught that. Every scene was so alive and so... Uh, and and I, 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 I went so I could think... I thought I could see the script. Yeah. And I could thought I could see him improv. And then I... Th- could see the choices right none of which i knew until like three years at circle rep where i understood what choices are do you know de niro said an actor is only as good as his choices you get the script what are you going to do with it right and so that it just i was just doing it i didn't think about it so i went i said wherever i have to go to figure out what pacino is doing and how he does that i'm gonna go there and so that was new york
0: interesting so that it was the third thing down the choices
1: you know like you, you saw Like I wasn't even aware of choices just, right you just you do you do it you, do, you don't even think about it so
0: yeah and when you do it that way it's sort of like you know it's a free fall in a way I mean it, like right because choices at least give you something to land on you're yeah, like you, you know,
1: learn all this stuff later yeah yeah you know, no I, in I, the I acting just, club. But I it just you weren't know, initially it. coming out it was just like I I just I did I think I people seem to like what I did you know, the movies, the Marshall came to me after about three or four years at Circle Rep and said, look, the next season is this, that and the other thing. And you're not in any of them. So this would be a really good time to go chase a movie, chase the I IC, chase ICM. And I said, you know what, I'll go now. And I, it was very great. I was, he'd been so great to me. And I said, I'm going to go to ICM and just let them have me. I'm not going to, well, you got to work around this play. I'm doing it so up no more. I'm going to go for a year or two and just go straight ICM. And and that's when we started chasing movies. And there were a lot of auditions.
0: Yeah. Can I ask you a quick question about choices and about, like, when you do, like, I just saw you do Atticus Finch. right? Yeah. Now, when you put choices in place, what what is the what is the emotional choice? I mean, I, I know when you so I'm going to say this like this, I'm going to turn this way, you know, I'm going to listen this way, or I'm going to engage here. But what is the driving force emotionally uh, that you make like for something like Atticus? Do you or do you just is it instinctual, or do you say this guy wants justice, this guy believes people are good? What's do you put something in place like that for yourself?
1: I I I, I simplify as often as possible yeah it i want justice is too big right um i want tom robinson i've got i'm going to represent tom robinson i want him to sign these papers okay that's it yeah that's it for that moment that scene for that scene that's it that's all you're there to do now through rehearsal and through the choices and all that you've got the accent you've got the optimism of no you i am they are completely wrong and i'm 100 percent right you're innocent tom you're innocent yeah i you walk in the door of that scene yeah going i'm going to be your lawyer and here are the papers sign sign the form in triplicate and he signs the form and i go all right i'll see you tomorrow morning that's all that's going to happen today so it's scene for scene really yeah, yeah, yeah. You sit with Scout on the bench, and right. you I explain to her what a mob means, right? And how that's going to work for us. That's yeah. all you do. I'm just teaching my daughter, right? You just happen to be watching, right? How simple can you make it? I watch these actors, not in this show, yeah. but other actors. We're
0: not not naming names, but yeah.
1: <laughs> and they just discuss it and talk it, and they get in their head. They think they think too much. I think how how what how. The less I can think about things, the more you're in free fall. Because if all you're doing is going to Tom Robinson, saying just sign the papers, and of course there, are, there are obstacles to that. Every good scene is, you know, you aren't going to get what you want easily. Otherwise, there's there's no scene, right? So here come the obstacles, and you've got to f- fight your way through those. With the same thing, I just want you to sign the paper. I just for your own benefit, right? Right? You know? Yeah. And so it, beca- it you start going forward, you aren't sitting back going through all your notes, all your, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. i got to show them this, and I've got to make sure I look like that. Right, That's all horseshit. It's right, like, that, that, It gets in the way. Yeah. You want one thing. What is it? Go get that.
0: Yeah. So you start chasing movies, a lot of auditions. Yeah. You, are there any that you can think of that you're like, fuck, why I? I should have got that.
1: Oh, a couple. Yeah, I was close on uh, American Beauty. Um, For the spacey part? Yeah, Kevin was uh, they were trying to do his deal and it wasn't going well. And I met with Sam Mendez and I really you know, I really wanted that one. It would have been a huge leap to put me in that. I was really nobody.
0: Isn't that a weird position to have to accept it's like we're gonna use you as
1: leverage to get
0: Kevin to I was a backup. Right I,
1: and I I he didn't offer it. Right and I'm there I imagine there were two or three other guys that were, you know, in on that the position. short list if Kevin's deal didn't come through and then his deal came through and that was that. But that was like that's the only one, really. I mean, it was... You like that part? Oh, it would have been a great part, but yeah. he did great in it. Sure, yeah. I and mean, what you know, that's not to bitch about. But, what was the first movie, Something Wild? Uh, no, uh, Ragtime. Oh. I got into Ragtime. That's right. I had two or three scenes. Yeah. There's James Cagney. Yeah. 81 years old, sitting there, and you're in the scene with James Cagney. Pretty special. You did that? Pretty special. You're in the room. And he had that beard. He had like a curly mustache, right? Did he play the He had a curly what, mustache. Was he the police chief or the fire chief? He was chief the commissioner.
0: Or, the police commissioner, yeah. yeah. I
1: remember him coming in. He didn't want to do it. He didn't think he could do it. He was retired at his upstate farm in New York. He wasn't acting anymore. And yeah. And Milos Forman said, come on down to New York City. We'll We'll do a screen test so that you can see that you can do it. And he reluctantly came down with his nurse, came in on a walker. Yeah. Sat there, and it was a four-page scene. They brought in Kenny McMillan, the police chief, and three or four cops to just act around him. But we're in a studio at at the PBS station here just to test Cagney, his request. And black and white monitors. This is 1980. You're playing a cop? I'm I'm one of the cops back. I got one line or something. Four-page scene. He couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Couldn't remember it. Couldn't stay. I just, it was, come on. Milo said, no, 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 no. We cut down to three pages, down to two, down to one page. Cut it down to one page. Still couldn't do it. You say one line. You say one Mm -hmm. line, Jimmy. You say one line. And then, you know, we cut, we cut, we edit. We just say one line. And Jimmy, and you look up at the black and white monitor, because they were shooting it. Yeah, And you could see it. You could see the, the medium close up. And all of a sudden, the jaw sets, and the finger comes up, and there's Yankee Doodle Dandy. There's <laughs> everything. Is. There's Cagney, yeah. and it's still in there. Yeah. And Milo says, "That is, we got that. You'll be good. That we do one line at a time. You'll be beautiful. <laughs> one line at a time. Yeah, that's how you got to shoot those guys. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. But you know, it, it was it was. Clint is the only other guy. Jack's another one. Those three guys. You know, when they go, how do you, you know, Jack, how do you want me to do it? Yeah. And Jim Brooks is, well, I mean, you think, yeah, all right, boom, boom. And you look at the monitor and then all of a sudden there he becomes, and Clint, I did a movie with Clint, Bloodwork, and he he just, just casual, easy going, plays golf. Right. He's that guy. Yeah. And then he sits in there and he, you got the camera. Yeah. You got it ready. All right. Good. All right. Anytime you're ready. What? That was action. That right. was, by the way, that was action. Yeah. And you say the line and you watch Clint set the jaw, do the speech, and then at the end of it goes, All right, that's enough of that. <laughs> and it's done. But you see him become it and then come out of it on camera. On camera. I,
0: ju- I just had that experience because I couldn't figure it out. Because I was you know working with De Niro and watching yeah. him trying to get the lines in his head or whatever, but then you watch it the pictures of it or you watch it on the monitor and you're like, that's it's like you can't even explain it. I guess it's just years of experience or they live on the. oh, it's and-
1: so there's so much technique that that you 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 learn how to forget it. And these got Nicholson said you gotta you gotta know what the muscles in your face do. And you know, winger, Deborah said to me on terms, she said, You lead with your eyes. Just little things that you know. On stage, you've got the whole body you're looking at. So when you say something, there sometimes there's a physical adjustment to let the to pull focus to you to hit this line. Yeah. But on film, you lead with the eyes. You follow where your eyes look. You make a note of that, and then you forget them, and then you do them. That's what these guys know instinctively now.
0: They know yeah. which cameras on them. They know what. They doing. know
1: what this looks like when they do this. They know what this looks like when the the, the uh, Altman Robert Altman said, uh, "Yeah, give me a reveal, Jeff." <laughs> what? <laughs> Were you looking down and then you come up and you say the line? Then I worked. I it was beautiful. It was a great movie trick. And then I <laughs> I uh, uh, I was doing a movie with someone who shall be named will be nameless and every single line was a reveal oh, really? every single line <laughs> <Just to look laughs> all of them yeah always found a way to look away and then come back up always looked away and then came back up and you just want to look, what are you looking at what's down there
0: <laughs> which movie did you do with altman
1: um what was that Kane mutiny court martial it was a tv oh, yeah. cbs tv thing um with uh, Brad Davis, Peter Gallagher, Eric Bogosian. It seems like he got to work with a lot of great guys. I did, Even- I did. Altman was, that's where you learn how to improv. Altman is famous for, uh, he mics everybody. Yeah. And then he says, yeah, you're just, you're going through the door. Yeah, just you and your lawyer are going through the door. All right. And then what he doesn't tell you is that he's sending three people through the door from the other direction. <laughs> Action. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're doing the dialogue, and but yeah, well, yeah, I'd say yeah. And then one of those guys, other, guy, says something to you, and now you, what happened? Cut it. We got that. That's all. <laughs> yeah, just like threw all the obstacles at you in real time. Yeah, yeah. I just want to catch it on camera. Good, yeah. I got it. Clint's the same way. You really? only you only do one take, one take. He wants it to happen the, for the first time, and it does. And then like, that's free fall. Yeah because you can't go back, even in your mind, you're like, I could have done uh, if that better. If we go back, uh, it's uh, if I blood work was what ten weeks. Um, we went back twice. You want another shot at that? <laughs> Thank you. That would be that would be great. Seeing how I butchered the speech. Yeah. <laughs> and did you did you start? <laughs> means Clint can't use it, yeah. right?
0: Did you start in TV? Did you do little TV stuff? I did
1: some TV. Uh, the commercials really were a great, you're in front of a camera right. and you learn about that. You do, you do a Burger King commercial where you're the, the kid in the back cooking the burgers and yeah. it's something about how great the burgers are. I don't know what the commercial is. And of course I did a whole four page backstory of him, <laughs> you know, he's in high school, he's supporting his family of seven. The dad died, you know, and the director's going, just cook the burgers. Yeah. And do you still do backstory? Um, Not to the extent that the acting classes think is so important. I do do givens. um, Circle taught me something called given circumstances. Where's Atticus coming from? The backstory on, for instance, To Kill a Mockingbird, for me, is were all the books I read in the last six, seven months to... I wanted to know what Atticus saw when he was standing on his porch it goes beyond just Harper's book. Right. Jim Crow South, I got to know what that's about and I got to know what it feels like in 1934 Alabama. Sundown towns, the green book stuff. So you got to educate yourself to be You got to go to grad school Atticus. on Atticus Finch. You read you read Joe Crispino's book about Atticus. You you, yeah. you all of that. You got to go to school. Otherwise, you're not you're not going to you're not going to Get up and over Gregory Peck. You just aren't. So yeah. I said, let's get educated about what he was seeing so that when Bob Ewell comes up on the porch in the play, I know that, you know, there's a lynching Thursday. You coming? Right. We had a good one about two weeks ago. We hung three of them. You coming? Yo, you ought to come. This special. Got some liquor for you. Yeah. And it's not, It's it's normal. Right. That's the normal. That's the common. And you got to understand that before you walk on stage as Atticus. And so it's get educated, go to school. Know more about what's going on back then than the critics, than some other actor who might do it. That comes from the Midwest too. There's a work ethic out there. We will work all day. We won't. I mean, we will look at the clock, but 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 we will work until the job is done. And that's always that's been instilled in me from my dad. Yeah. So. That's one of the things I told my kids. I said you're, you're only special because I'm famous. That might get you through a door or two, but then it's also there are one or two strikes against you because of that. Your only way to beat the guys who think oh you're just the you know special kid of the famous father is you outwork them. Are they all going into acting? No, oh. no. One thought about it, and then he just didn't. I said you got to want it more than anything, and he goes I don't. I said well then. Why don't you be the star of your own life? Why don't you go find out what you want to do? You, the only privilege you have is that you have time to, fu- to find what you want to do versus what you have to do to make a living. Yeah. So you have that. I'll give you that. That's your privilege. But you got to work your ass off. you got to outwork other people. And you have to be a professional. You have to be responsible, accountability, all that stuff that I learned as an apprentice, a circle rep, and my dad taught me. My theater company, that's what we teach. Are these kids and, and actors going to go off to be famous and be in movies? No. Some might, but most won't. Yeah. So what are you going to take away? Professionalism, discipline, behavior, accountability, responsibility, be a pro. And that means you outwork everybody else. Get to work. Do you find a lot of the
0: people that come through the uh, your program know that they may not be famous?
1: There are a few that... that that have the dream because yeah. the dream came true is standing right next to him. Right, because I'll walk into the theater company, I'll write a play, and there I am. And it, you know, it's it's it can happen, but, but, seven years in New York City before I got a movie. But it's interesting, like
0: I see it all the time, where there's no way to tell somebody that it's over; only they can tell themselves that. You oh know, yeah, it's yeah. a fuck. This business is ridiculous. Because, oh, you're the last one to know, of course, because you keep setting your precedent higher. It's like, well, that guy didn't make it till he was like
1: sixty. You know, like, okay. they, like you right. know
0: what I mean? Like, it's so like it's sort of a, there's a sadness to show business. Oh my god, that is undeniable. You can't
1: some, you you sit with college kids, yeah. I, which I do occasionally, which I enjoy because you can't. You, what you start is let me talk to you about rejection, right? And why you're going to need, you know, antidepressants at some point. <laughs> or something. <laughs> something. So, yeah. Something. So you're gonna need some medication. Yes. Um nothing can prepare you for that. It's just how bad do you want it? And by the way, how talented are you? You gotta look in the mirror. Be yeah, honest.
0: That's it. What are your limitations? Are you to... really right. that
1: talented? Right. Are you are you, do you wanna be Al Pacino? Are you that talented? Yeah. If you aren't, then shoot for something. Less and many people do, yeah. But you, I said I can't tell you that. I can't tell you whether you're talented enough, right? But
0: you, they're all sitting there going,
1: like, "I got it, I got it." Okay, yeah. good luck. Good luck to you. All right, get back to me. And when you're, I remember, God, I remember, I was in a bar after a play, and and uh, Richard Dreyfuss was there. Oh yeah, and he was at the peak of his his career. You know, he was working with Spielberg. He was doing the whole thing, jacked up. I don't know about that but yeah. it, but it was uh uh it was a it was a cool table to be at and I don't know how I got there and I was 22 and uh Richard saw me and he goes he goes are you an actor I said yeah yeah I'm just starting out he goes it doesn't mean shit till you're 30 and he walked away <laughs> But there was something to that put in your time yeah learn the craft learn the techniques yeah don't just walk in the room on the, you know, riding the brilliance of your personality and charm. I ain't going to make it.
0: Well, and you, then you did the Demi movie?
1: And Demi was later. Something oh, really? Wild was, was later. Really? There was Terms of Endearment. That there was, was before, Marie.
0: Terms of Endearment was before Something oh, Wild? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That was 83. Terms was 86. Or Terms was 83. Something Wild was 86. Terms was like, uh, I, I, re- I watched that again recently because I talked to Brooks not too long
0: ago. Uh, I, I love say- Jim. Yeah. Oh, he's a great guy. Oh, and that was like, a, and that movie's great. I mean, like that that cast. Like, I mean, it must have been just insane to not. Yeah, to work it was around. insane. I can't. I mean, Shirley MacLaine sitting there and Jack's on set, and you're all kind of on set at the same time, right?
1: Yeah, um, it, there was definitely a relationship um, dysfunctional thing working between Deborah and Shirley. And then Jack showed up after two weeks of shooting. I mean, Shirley and Deborah, it, it, what it was was I thought was Deborah going. We have a mother daughter relationship that is love hate. Yeah, and we're going to make sure we get the hate in there. Yeah, because right. Shirley was a little bit. Let's just make it. You know, uh, she was. She had a way that she was going to do it, and Deborah wasn't going to allow her to do that. And I watched that happen, which was an education. And then Jack shows up after two weeks of pretty much strife and and stress on the set. And Brooks was trying to get in there and trying to make it work, and just you know, I mean, the girls were. It was it was rough. Yeah. And Jack so shows up and says, "Why are you having such a problem?" <laughs> he was. It was great, and as soon as Jack showed up, everybody got along. Everybody was fine. Jack said, "Do you want me to wave like this, or should I wave like that?" Jim says, "I may, try the second one. I'll try the second one." And he'd back up the car and he'd wave like the second one. You got it? Yeah. Well, I think we got it.
0: And he kept. I like the way he kept looking up at the stars. Yeah, like he had this weird thing. Yeah, he'd been there. Before. Oh
1: my God, it was just great. Shirley had um. Butterflies adhesives in her just under her her hair, and it pulled the forehead back. So it took it made her younger, which is an old Hollywood trick. Yeah. Terrific. Brooks wanted him out, and he couldn't get Shirley to take him out. So Jack's doing the. I'm sitting on the fence across the driveway from, and I'm he's meeting Shirley for the first time, and and Jack says, "Yeah, I'll, I'll get him out for you." rolling action so so you're an astronaut yeah i'm an astronaut i'm kind of a what do you got in your hair there i can't help but see what you got cut it jack, jack those are adhesives i'm i'm just reacting to what i'm seeing i just, every take he would do, finally bing, 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 pulls them out. him out he looks over at jim winks <laughs> oh that was pretty good and it was
0: great that that it kind of forced her into a different place with it
1: and 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 God bless Shirley she really yeah. uh, you know at the time um she and and God to be fair to her, Deborah had just an officer and a gentleman She's she huge. was it yeah she was it right and Shirley used to be it right yeah. so there was that and and it what became about in the nebraska uh, the um the um hospital scenes later in the movie. He wanted the roots to show. He didn't want the perfect hair and all of that. Jim did, and Shirley fought him on that. And Shirley said, Jim said, I want to dress. You. I want you to fall apart physically. Yeah. And, you know, for an actress to do that later, that's a lot. That's asking a lot. But she did it. She, she did, did it. Yeah.
0: I get choked up just now thinking about it. I don't know. Kind of she won wild. the Oscar. Yeah, she did. Yeah. So, like, okay, so I, obviously we can't go movie to movie, but something wild had a profound impact on me just because I think.
1: That was improv. There was a lot of improv on that. Yeah. I, and it wasn't what I think of as improv, but it, but it really was. that was Jonathan Demme before he was really Jonathan right, and Demme. Right, and it
0: had a feel of a movie that, like, something you'd never seen before. There there were colors in it. There was a pace, the music. Music. Like, you, you know, like, and it just had... A style that was like I had never really seen before. He was very highly stylized right out of the gate. Yeah. And to work with him, what was he like to work with? Did you learn from him? There was
1: no such thing as a bad idea. Right. Try it. That's nice. Yeah. He could have had a hundred grand to make the movie or a hundred million. Yeah. Wouldn't have have, mattered. Jonathan would have approached it the same way. We get to make a movie today. Come on, let's go. Let's try that. You'd you'd look out the window and there's a dog sitting on the back of a motorcycle and the dog has a helmet on. And you're going, this is a Jonathan Demme movie. (laughs) It's the same feeling I had the year before working on Woody with Purple Rose. You look around you and you go, this is the frame of a... And you're seeing things in it that only would be in a Woody Allen movie. And you realize you're with a filmmaker. Same thing with Jonathan. Same thing with Altman. Same thing with Clint. And you've also worked with guys who are just
0: doing the job, as opposed to a filmmaker,
1: or are told to just do the job because you know what? It was a different time, uh, and maybe television is getting back to that. Uh, yeah, where where Aaron Sorkin gets to run newsroom with Alan Poole and a couple other people, um, and they aren't told what to do. Uh, right? It's like that. It's Coppola, you know. Even though Coppola had to fight and to 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 get. Pacino in the Into the Godfather, he still had his battles, but the director was king right. or queen, and that went away. Suddenly, there were seventeen producers on the front of the movie, and they all got to get their notes in, and and that's I, I, that's that's not great. Too many cooks. I, I that's why Squid and the Whale with Noah Baumbach. The budget was, what, a million won or something? That's like 20 bucks. There was nobody else. So when we have to make a change at 2 in the morning, it's Noah Baumbach and Laura Linney and me. There is no phone call to L.A. to go, it's okay if we do this. Well, that's
0: why those guys shoot like that. That's why they make the choice to keep the movie small. But it's single voice. Yeah.
1: Singular voice. Same thing with Sorkin. Right. You know, that's... And I love that. I miss that.
0: But I think guess the difference is, is that somebody like Bombac is going to keep making these smaller movies because he can wrangle his own sort of funding and he can have control of the movie,
1: control, creative control. It's all about creative control.
0: Aaron has made people fortunes, so like you know he can operate at a different level, and they're going to give him everything he needs. Creative control. Right.
1: Creative control. Just so
0: the, the upper, the different, like the big
1: uh, you know, Spielberg fought for final cut. Creative right. control. Yeah. You know, it's that's what it's about. It's not about, and that that is hard to get. You have to be somebody to get that at a high level, or you do a budget of a million bucks so that they don't bother you.
0: Right. And with the, with the theater, with your theater, the Purple Rose, is it called the Purple Rose Theater?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, do you, how much are you writing? How much? How many plays are you kind of producing on I wrote. Your
1: I've written 17, and the one I have up now uh, in the fall here is Diva Royale. I wrote Flint, which we uh, produced in January. I just love writing plays, and it's creative control. I work with one person, the artistic director, and he and I collaborate. We work well together, but in my theater, the playwright is king, and Um, And you're
0: developing playwrights and actors? Yeah, we have
1: six playwrights, um, men and women, uh, who write, who are always writing the next play. And you got to produce these people. Um, Their first play is you you get it in as best shape you can, and you got to produce it. And their next play will be their fifth, simply because you produced it. I can't stand the theater companies that do staged readings or workshops of the play, development hell, yeah. and they won't produce it. They'll bring in what was popular in New York last year because it's published, because doing a new play is really hard. you got to originate. you got to make those original choices. you got to cut this scene. You don't cut scenes in Arthur Miller. You know, right. you shouldn't, uh, Tennessee Williams. You can just do it the way it's written. And it's hard to do. But if you can figure out how to do it and how to tell story on a stage, structure what you need, what you don't, take that joke out because you're spending a whole page just to get to that joke, kill the babies, as we say in writing. Yeah. Um, you learn how to do that. And then you get a voice, and then you get Lauren Knox or Carrie Krim or Jeff Daniels or Dave McGregor, and you get these you get and people start to come to see The writer. They come to see the writer. He or she has written another play. And by the way, why don't you write about the people in the seats? You know, not always, but I prefer to write about people sitting in those seats. Hold a mirror up to them. I don't care what you think as the playwright. Yeah. That doesn't interest me. I care what you think about what they think. Yeah. And if you write about them, they will come. And by the way, if you make it funny once in a while, they'll bring their friends. Yeah.
0: And now, is it, is it self-supporting the theater now? I nope.
1: Mean- We're non-profit. Yeah. Um- Our budget's a little over two million a year. We the box office. We we demand a lot of the box office. We we've got to bring in sixty percent box office. And are people coming to uh, from all over the world to be part of it, or is it no? I mean, regionally. I mean, we're certainly the audience is a ninety mile radius. Right. We draw actors from Chicago who come out to audition for us. Oh yeah. Um, but we develop the people there. Okay. We take them. We put them through the act, the same acting program I had at Circle Rep. They get the same apprentice program is is the same one at Purple Rose, and we we teach you how to do what we call being purple, and it's just listening and reacting and and keeping it on the stage. That's what it's about. So.
0: Have you worked with uh, who? I, who have I talked to, uh, Tracy Letts? You know Tracy Letts. I I
1: I, th- I, I don't know. I may have met him. I've oh, never yeah. worked with him. though. No. he's another guy. Yeah. I mean, he's a pure artist. Yeah, he's a great American artist, and everything the guy writes is just gold. It's crazy, know? right? Yeah, keep writing, Tracy. Don't ever stop writing.
0: Yeah. Now you've got the um, the Emmy for Godless. Yeah, I saw you over there. I was at the Emmys, sitting there. It's, not, it's kind of a Tedious evening, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> oh. I, just, I mean, I walked by you and you do, you, I was like, I'm not going to say hi to that guy. He doesn't look too
1: happy today. No, it's just my <laughs> overall look. I'm just not as as euphoric as everyone else is, you know, about this incredible opportunity to wear a tuxedo and I prob- it, probably uh, lose. Yeah, it's 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 probably an impossible show to do. I guess so. And maybe what we should all do with all these shows, since this isn't really a competition, really, right, um, is take it off television. It doesn't put mean it back much. at the 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 Roosevelt, Roosevelt Hotel, Hotel. Banquer, banquet room and hand out the awards and let people have fun. People have fun, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why do we have to televise it? You know, and I know why we have to televise it. But does it mean? Does it? Is it important to you? Does it feel good to win? Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You don't go there not to, you know. And but look, to be invited to the party. Yeah. I felt this the first time I got nominated for the Tonys with God of Carnage. That was the first time I felt you know what, win or lose, and I'm and I'm we're not here to win because there's Jeffrey Rush and there's some. And you're looking around. You're going. I'm part of a lot of great work. Just enjoy that, you know. And I did. I really got it for the first time, which is different than watching it as an actor on television. So just
0: a couple years ago, you finally. And you're never invited.
1: And you're.
0: I never liked him.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, he shouldn't have won. He sucks. My friend
0: Kravitz used to call the television the resentment box. Yeah,
1: I was uh oh boy. Yeah, I, I uh yeah, Oscars about fifteen minutes into the Oscars yeah. and I'm in the other room. I can't do it. I yeah, just can't do it. There's yeah, just too much bitterness and hate and rage. But then you win. And you win for newsroom, which you're not supposed to win. You're not supposed to win. There was an audible gasp in the audience when my name was called. The New York Times wrote about it. The gasp? The gas, the, the audible audience. gasp yeah, when yeah. Mr. Daniels' name was called. Because it was Spacey, it was Ham, it was Damian Lewis, it was it was uh, Brian. It was just loaded, loaded. And uh, we got it. I had the Northwestern speech. They didn't have that. Mm-hmm. That's what did it, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. But then with Godless, uh, yeah, you wanted that because I took a risk. I took a big risk Playing with that. heavy? Uh, the beard and the thing, and the western, and it easily could have been, oh my god, what is he doing? He took a risk, and um, and I wanted it, I, wanted, I worked hard on that, and uh, and then I, I was glad to win, yeah. Was but it? but it wasn't, it wasn't the um euphoric. You yeah, know, yeah, I'd yeah. like to thank everyone. Oh, my God, this is, it wasn't did, that did Did you all.
0: talk about the guy who had your horse?
1: I thanked the people, that my driver. Yeah. I right. thanked uh, Mark Warwick, my wrangler, who saved my life one day when the horse threw me off, and uh, he saved my life. Yeah. And then um, I thanked my horse, just to let them know that let's all just calm down just a little bit. Yeah. It's a great honor. Thank you very much. Yeah. But... Yeah, I'm gonna thank my horse, and oh, let's yeah. all let's all think about that. Let's all think about who has anyone ever thanked their horse? Maybe years. John Wayne. Right. Google it. Go yeah. look it up. Get Maybe back to me. Gene Autry. I'm around. gonna say no. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do that.
0: Not since Trigger.
1: Not since Roy Rogers and Trigger. <laughs>
0: But these eras, you know, like cause something like when you talked about Atticus and about researching Atticus and then about like, um, but less so in, in terms of going to the, the Old West, which is something we grew up with, which is a, like a genre that, you know, comes and goes. But did you feel the weight of it? Did you feel like, I mean, I have to assume that with Atticus, when you did all that research, that to really engage with that, the heartbreak of it has to be there with you on stage, that this is the way humans behave
1: yeah you gotta you gotta delete the movie because that's not helpful yeah i can't i can't use it i can't do what he did i'm not gonna right goodbye the book is the source but it's the play it's aaron sorkin atticus makes a change he goes through a change in this less so in the movie probably less so in the book because it's truly from Scouts POV. This the play is more about the change that happens to Atticus. So you have to, again, simplify. I want to win this case for Tom Robinson, my first two criminal clients, for the last two people hanged and make So this is going to be the one I'm going to win. It's going to be good for me as a lawyer, I'm going to do something good for Judge Taylor. And I'm going to get this guy off who's absolutely innocent. That's what I'm going to do. And it's it's a slam dunk case. Walk face first into that. And then the story is going to take that away from you. Now what do you do? And it can't be just righteousness and being a Mount Rushmore statue about it. You got to go through it. You're a, he's a human being, a living, breathing human being, and he just lost. And this guy's going to the electric chair. I'll get him on the appeal, and then they shoot him. Yeah. And you got to go through that you got to go through that. And it may not be what they did before, but it's what we're doing now. And and you get Atticus to kind of go through that emotionally. And then his son is guilty probably of killing Bob Ewell. I have three kids. What mm-hmm. would happen Oof. if your son yeah. and the sheriff is going, let's go outside, talk on the porch? And you can feel that. Whoa, oh, oh, whoa, you bring it with you. You yeah. use it. Yeah. You use it. I' tell you the other thing too is um, my dad was uh, an Atticus Finch. He was the guy that everybody in town went to to get advice. He was there was right and there was wrong. there was how you treat people. He was that glorious Republican moderate who hired the poorest guy in town to clean the lumber Company. I remember coming home, 8, 9, 10, walked into our living room. There's my dad sitting with a black man, a guy named Herbie Pearson, mm-hmm. one of the two black families that had wanted, he had just moved to town. Dad heard about him. Dad had Herb, Herbie come to his house. I walked in there laughing at the kitchen table with a black guy. I'm like, Jeff, I'd like you to meet Herbie Pearson. Herbie's going to be working for me. And, that, and he was also the guy who said, when you go to school, because we were in small-town standards well-off, small-town well-off. When well, yeah. he owned a business, it was doing okay. We had money, right. comparatively. He goes, you find the poorest kid in, in, the, in your class. And if you find that people are making fun of him, you, be, you stand next to him. You be friends with the people on the other side of town. Yeah. And that's Atticus. Right. And I was. And it led me into the theater because that the misfits of the... And so I wish he were alive to see this. Yeah. Because my brother and sister are coming to opening night. And I look like him, facially. They're going to see him. Oh, yeah. They're going to hear him. That's going to be great. Yeah. So it's personal. Yeah. To get this opportunity, which is, I'm so fortunate, but... You know my my wife had said the other day she go and she people have asked and um, is there a role of a lifetime that you wish you could play King Lear Hamlet you know and I never had one yeah and she said you've got you've got you've got it now don't you and I said yeah this is it That's so great. um every night is a joy it really is That's I great. wish he could see it I wish he could he you know if you believe in that stuff I guess he is
0: and. Well that's that's beautiful man. That's so good. So in closing, uh, any notes on how to uh, transcend resentment?
1: <laughs> I think you need to embrace your resentment. Yeah. Um you know what? I'm still I'm working on that. Uh-huh. I can go to instant rage and it's always about Lying, cheating, stealing, not being truthful. You know, Yeah. it's raining and uh, they're pissing on my forehead and they're telling me all the stuff that's going on today. Yeah. uh, 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 I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, playing hardball. Right. With what's going on now. If that's the game, then I think those who are uh, with the resistance in a peaceful, nonviolent manner... Start throwing right hooks, yeah. If that can be nonviolent, but yeah, do not shy away from that. So that channel that resentment, yeah, we can into, make it about something. Yeah, our, yeah. And our, I, our, but I have, I will always, and I, I will always rise up for people who don't do the work, who feel entitled, who, who um, aren't prepared. Yeah, you don't have to outwork me because you're not gonna, but. If you're not even doing the minimum, then you're going to hear about it. Yeah, and if I don't know if that's resentment, but that that'll outcomes the rage when that happens. Right. Well, it's good that yeah, I,
0: you know, it's reasonable. It's it's the unreasonable. It's for rage. a reason. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. unreasonable rage. It's is, work yeah. No, that's. Uh, it's like that's, being uh, a six year old. You know? Up the medications. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's great talking to you. I don't think we need to play guitar. You that's need fine. to save your voice. That's fine. We, uh, but you you love playing it. I do you play well oh thank you I've been playing I've been
1: practicing I keep practicing I'm not sure what I'm practicing for it's all
0: I do it's great I get those
1: uh, Stefan Grossman videos and oh uh, you do so you sit with it oh my god Stephen Grossman, I got to meet him, and I got a lesson from him. And oh, it's a very long story, but it, it but but Pat Donahue is a guy. I've got I got his DVDs that I'm just. That's what I'm going to do during once we get past opening night. Is sit in the dressing room with my download of Pat Donahue. And Stephen Grossman, yeah, you know, he, look him up. I mean, it's acoustic blues. I oh, mean, yeah. Yeah, whatever yeah. you're doing, he does it better. Sure. And you, Kelly Joe Phelps. Yeah, I mean, oh, these no, are that guys guy, yeah. that teach, and Keb Moe, That you just start going. I'm gonna just learn how to do what they're doing, and then you're instantly better. Yeah, I need
0: some new tricks. Like I, you know, I keep. It, I never thought about it as a profession, so it's a very
1: meditative, and yeah, I love it's, doing. It. It's where I go to, yeah, to exactly, chill out. Me I mean, I used to play golf and talk about rage. Yeah, you know the. iron that stuck you stuck to the pin three feet today uh you go out tomorrow and it's in the water and i'm going why is it in the weight (laughs) no but you learn a riff on the acoustic guitar oh it's the best and it's it's there
0: tomorrow yeah it's the best and you don't have to towns in your guitar at home no (laughs) no reason to start breaking your guitar no well it's great talking to you man thanks Thanks, for doing
1: it i appreciate it (laughs)
0: I thought that was great. I really was uh, happy that Jeff took the time and that we got to have that conversation, got to know each other a little bit. Uh, just a uh, really great, memorable conversation. And now let's ease into some thoughtful two-chord guitar playing. Here we go.